Specialty Story, session number 158. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. I'm excited to have you here today. I'm even more excited to share a great guest, actually an alumni of the great New York Medical College where I was, or I am, an alumnus from. Alumnus, yeah. That's that's the singular of alumni, I think. Uh, we have Dr. Deepak Sudendra on our podcast today. Dr. Sudendra is a vascular and interventional radiologist and surgical critical care specialist. A nice little dual specialty there. And we talk about why he kind of went down that path. He also has four years of general surgery residency, which is unusual. And we go into a conversation about changing residencies and a little known secret that I that I kind of knew about, but I've never really confirmed with anyone. And he confirmed it with me today. We start the conversation by how Dr. Sudendra got into interventional radiology to begin with. I was um, actually uh, had just started my fourth year of general surgery residency. I was a categorical general surgery uh, resident in Washington, D.C. at, uh, at a major uh, trauma center. Uh, it's a uh, part of uh, Georgetown University. Uh, and I really wanted to do cardiothoracic uh, surgery. Uh, my father's a cardiothoracic surgeon, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And um, I, I, I felt that going into medicine, I had a good overview of a lot of different specialties because almost everybody in my family is in medicine, and you name the specialty, we have it in our family. <laughs> um, but um, as I was starting my fourth year, um, you know, I started to see uh, advancements in medicine, and especially in cardiothoracic surgery, um, I was seeing a lot of the advancements that were taking place in interventional cardiology, and how many patients were uh, not necessarily going for open heart surgery, but having a minimally invasive, you know, procedure done. And uh, you know, my my father was near towards the end of his um, cardiac surgery uh, career. And he said to me, he said, you know, uh, but when, once he saw that I was sort of having some doubts, he said, look, you know, you really need to look at what is going to be big in your lifetime of medicine. And in your lifetime of medicine, minimally invasive is where it's at, whether it's interventional cardiology, interventional radiology, or, or something endovascular. Uh, uh, open surgery will always be needed, uh, but uh, the future is minimally invasive. And at that point, I said, you know, I'm young. Uh, and um, I personally uh, did not want to do uh, any other uh, surgical uh, subspecialty. And so I made the decision to uh, to leave uh, general surgery, which was uh, the entire hospital couldn't believe that I was <laughs> Uh, that I was leaving, uh, you, know, you know, at this point I was going to be chief resident in a year. Um, uh, but, um, I, I chose interventional radiology, uh, because, 
initially, I thought uh, when I thought of interventional cardiology, uh, it so happened that I was told that none of my four years of general surgery counted and that I would have to start all over and be a medicine uh, intern. And at that point, I said, well, uh, one of my friends who was interventional radiology attending said that there's an accelerated pathway for surgeons to do IR. And so that's, uh, that's how I got into IR. A lot of people in your shoes that wouldn't even consider leaving this fallacy of sunk costs. Like I've gone this far in my general surgery. I might as well just do it and suck it up and live this career. This is kind of outside of normal specialty stories questions, but, but there are lots of students who just are deathly afraid of making the wrong decision, right? We, we, we go to medical school, potentially have a specialty in mind. We go through medical school, evaluating and, and trying different things and maybe hating mm-hmm. all of them or loving all of them. And then we have this huge decision at the end where we apply to specialties and say, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And there are some people who just that doesn't fit their personality. There are some people still don't know. How much of an issue was it for you, not necessarily to decide because you made that decision, but to actually go through the process of switching specialties? Oh, my God. I, I, you know, Ryan, I always say I will write a book about this because <laughs> I learned so much about, uh, about the system and how I don't think we do a good job of educating medical students about picking a specialty. And all and all the things that are uh, that are. That's why this podcast is here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, you know. So so let me tell you when I uh, when I decided to uh, to switch, it's probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make because I love being in the operating room. I love operating, and um, uh, and I thought you know I never thought that this would be me wanting to switch because of being exposed to almost every specialty of medicine, I felt that compared to most medical students, I had a fairly good grasp of, of the pros and cons of, of all medical fields. Mm. And, you know, the one thing to keep in mind is there's no such thing as a perfect field in medicine. Uh, every field has a pros and cons, but it's, it's what's going to be best for you and your personality. And I, I really felt that I was losing part of my identity by not being a surgeon uh, in the uh, you know, sort of common sense of the word. And um, when I switched, uh, I actually found that it was very difficult uh, to switch. And there was a part of me that sort of had this uh, surgeon's ego that, you know, I'm uh, a fourth year surgery resident, and now I'm going to be switching into IR and radiology. Um, this will be very easy uh, for <laughs> me to uh, uh, to do. And there are, at least at that time, this was in 2005. There are about 128 radiology programs in the country. I applied to all 128. <laughs> it's a lot of money. <laughs> Thank you, AMC. The AMC thanks you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, you know, how many interviews I got, I got one and it was a courtesy interview from our alma mater, New York medical college with Dr. And, uh, Dr. Um, Racklin. Is that her name? Dr. Racklin. Dr. <laughs> Racklin. And, you know, she remembered me from that school and she was very upfront with me. Yeah. And she said, 
Um, I really don't think that you're going to get to forget radiology. I don't think you will get into any field of medicine at this point. And I kind of looked at her, you know, you, you know, what are you talking about? Yeah. And she said, the, the little secret that nobody tells you is that Medicare pays for you to train for a certain number of years. That's I was where gonna, all the I was going to ask you that. From. I was going to ask you that. That's this this thing I've always heard is the, the training dollars. I think we know most people, Medic CMS pays for those spots. And that's why it's so hard to switch is because now the hospital is paying yes. for you. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so she said, you have effectively used up four years of medical GME funding. So with hospitals hurting for money, a fresh medical student has a better chance of getting a, a spot in any field wow. over you. And so she said, my advice to you, you know, Deepak is to, um, you know, look at things outside of medicine, business law, you know, whatever you want, but I, I don't see you practicing as a physician. Wow. And I was like, Oh <laughs> my God, what did I just do? Cause I had already given up my general surgery spot. I was doing a, a IR research at the National Institutes of Health, and I just I was besides myself. Like, how am I going to? You know, this is how I identified myself, and I really enjoyed being a physician. What am I going to do now? Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so my advice, I, I guess, in that regard, is you know uh, to leave if someone feels that they've chosen the wrong specialty, and it does happen, mm -hmm. leave early you know, the first year, um, so that you're not in that, you know, position of, of using up the GME uh, yeah. funding, you know, and, and there will, there will be certain, sometimes a, an entire year of a residency where someone may not enjoy what they're going through. And, you know, I encourage them to, you know, to talk to their attendings or counselors or, or friends and family, uh, because they will get through it, but that's very different from saying, um, you know, I really made a mistake and, I, I do not want to do this specialty and I want to switch into something else. Yeah. So I, I'm sure someone listening to this or watching this is on the, the edge of their seat. Well, how, how did you end up getting a residency? Did you work for free? Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I'll, I'll tell you one of the things is, you know, really um, um, I have learned is uh, connections uh, help a lot and being very nice to people. Yeah. Uh, and genuinely nice. And um, what happened was, uh, um, well, first I had to get a research position, um, which was uh, not hard uh, or not easy uh, to do. And uh, being in DC, I said, well, the two biggest names in the region were uh, the NIH and Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Yeah. So I, I went to Hopkins and they did not have any research positions for me. And then I went to the NIH and spoke with the chief of IR there. And uh, he said, um, I don't have any money to pay you. Yeah. Uh, he said, you would have to work for free. And, um, and I told him, well, you know, I, I couldn't do that. And um, so I kind of, you know, went back. And actually, at this point, this is maybe uh, three weeks before I was leaving my residency. Uh, I was in the emergency room. And one of the, the ER physician who, who uh, called me to the emergency room to see a patient, uh, yeah, I was very friendly with her. And she, um, you know, uh, she said to me, and, and she's an Indian woman, and there's a reason that's important in this uh, story. 
she uh, said to me, she said, Deepak, is it true that you are, that you're leaving us? And I said, oh my God, the word kind of spreads quickly around here. And I, I said, yes. And she asked me what my plans were. And I told her I wanted to go into IR. And, but um, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. I'm looking for research positions. And she said, well, did you find one? I said, no. And, um, but I said, I just interviewed at the NIH, but it doesn't look like that's going to work. And she said, who did you work with? Who did you interview with? And I said, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't know him. And, and I mentioned, you know, the, the gentleman's name. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, um, Deepak, she said, um, he's my husband. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And I was like, what? And she said, she's like, you know, I, I go by my maiden name at work. And she's like, let me talk to him. And uh, that evening I got a call and he said, why didn't you tell me you worked with my, you know, you know, with my wife? And he said, don't worry, we will find funding. Then I will find funding. Why don't you come on board? So I spent a year there. And when I, um, as I was doing the radiology application process, there was an accelerated program that I mentioned called the direct pathway that was for surgeons to go into IR. And you would do two years of surgery, two years of radiology, and two years of IR, and you get boarded in radiology, uh, diagnostic radi radiology, and IR. So I thought, let me do that program. Uh, there were only three programs in the country: um, Northwestern, I think UC San Diego, and uh, and I think Tufts. Um, I'm blanking now, or Harvard. And so I interviewed. Um, at, uh, at just one of them, um, and uh, and they took their own uh, surgery person. So my father, you know, who who's always been a guiding force for me, and um, you know, has always been very aggressive. He said to me, "Why was this program started?" And I said, "Well, the drug pathway program was started because there there was a real shortage of IR throughout the country, mm -hmm. and they wanted to." attract uh, more of a surgical mindset to the field as we were doing more and more complex cases. And so he said, well, Deepak, if, if life doesn't present you with an opportunity, you have to create the opportunity yourself. <laughs> so I wrote a letter to all 128 radiology programs in the country and said, the ACGME has approved this direct pathway program. Would anyone consider starting it and taking me as their first fellow? And nobody responded. <laughs> and several weeks went by. And um, then I said, you know what? Let me send it again. Um, maybe it went to their junk mail or something like that. Yeah. So I sent it again. But this time I sent it from my NIH account instead of my Gmail account. Nice. And 30 institutions wrote back to me. And uh, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center wrote back and said, we're not familiar with this, but why don't you come talk to us? And uh, I, I went to Pittsburgh and I gave them a little PowerPoint presentation on what the program is and, and that it will be funded by ACGME. And so they said, well, you rank us number one, we'll rank you number one and we'll take you. And that's, that was my in, you know, into the, the radiology uh, field. And I matched at UPMC, which is an outstanding radiology program. And the month before I was about to start, the program director called up and he said, uh, Deepak, I hate to tell you this, but uh, we are actually closing our IR fellowship. We will not be able to 
offer you this uh, accelerated direct pathway program. And I was like, oh my God, what, uh, you know, what's going to happen now? Can this get any worse? Um, and he said, but the match is a legally binding contract. So you are welcome to come here and do four years of diagnostic radiology and then go elsewhere and do one year of interventional radiology fellowship compared to just doing the, the surgery in the accelerated program I didn't have to do, but I was going to do two years of radiology and two years of IR. And so I said, you know, with my GME funding problem, uh, I said, you know what, I will take it. Yeah. And I, and so I did four years at university of Pittsburgh and then I came back to DC to George Washington for my IR fellowship. That's awesome. I'm glad we took that little detour because what what that hopefully shows a lot of people is just just continued resilience and and yeah, I think some people may go, "Oh, your dad's a doctor, so you had some ins, you had some connections," but it, you you obviously went out there, did the work, and you're like, "Let's let's make this together." I think that's the the best yeah. part of it. So yeah, that's great. What are some of the the biggest myths or misconceptions around interventional radiology? Right. Um, I think the biggest uh, thing, uh, the misconception, and it, it's, uh, I, I think it's warranted to uh, uh, to a certain extent, is that um, we are just proceduralists and um, really know very little about uh, medicine. We're sort of like your car mechanic mm-hmm. and um, do a procedure and um, we don't uh, really follow up at all. And there is some truth to that in how interventional radiology started. And I think people have to understand how interventional radiology started was that it was purely a diagnostic field. Um, it was called diagnostic angiography and, you know, or special procedures is how it would be referred to. And, you know, when it first began, we could not really treat anything in IR. We were the people who told the surgeons where the problem was. Mm. Um, um, you know, is there a bleeding vessel? We would do an arteriogram and say, look, here it is, but sorry, I can't really do anything. And, um, but as surgery advanced, uh, our field also advanced and IR really developed as being the specialty that got the surgeons um, out of um, uh, out of trouble, you know, when someone has a, a problem, um, they come to us. And it's not just surgery; it, it's all fields uh, now. And so we really have to think outside uh, the box. Uh, so we kind of became the doctor's doctor, in you know, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And with that, um, the advancement in IR has led to us uh, now seeing patients and. Um, setting up offices, uh, just like any other uh, specialty, but it is not a hundred percent widespread. And but uh, it is the future of our uh, specialty. And so I, I think for a lot of other specialists, they don't really know that there are a lot of things that we treat, other conditions that we treat, um, and that we're not just the pick line service or the abscess drainage service. Yeah. And you, you also do critical care medicine. Is that, is that a normal thing for IR docs to do? Or is that just something where you had an interest and so you went and made it for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have to, um, 
so uh, generally IR does not uh, do that. And um, when I was doing my surgical residency, uh, the hospital that I was at, the surgical residents got an inordinate amount of training in surgical critical care. Mm. So when I when I left uh, surgery uh, during my uh, four years of diagnostic radiology, I did not want to lose my clinical skills. Mm. So unbeknownst to my program director, I actually uh, moonlighted uh, six nights a week at, um, a, uh, at two local hospitals as a surgical critical care um, a moonlighter uh, for a cardiac surgery. And, um, and then was actually hired as an attending um, for weekends um, you know, when I was in, I think my third year or, or uh, of um, radiology residency. So while I was not, you know, operating, I was, you know, still doing a lot of, you know, uh, uh, bedside procedures and just uh, managing critically ill, uh, you know, patients. Yeah. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good IR doc? Well, I, I think there are. Uh, uh, a number of, of traits that are unique to uh, IR. They're the general traits that I think all physicians you know, uh, have to have, but specific to IR, I think it's really knowing how to think outside the box. Uh, a lot of the things that we do are trying to clear up problems that, uh, that many other specialties have not been able to, uh, to fix. And they're coming to us and saying, look, is there, there's, we cannot fix this uh, surgically or medically. Is there something that can be done endovascularly or, um, or the common thing where people will come down to IR and say, can you just sort of come up with something? (laughs) They don't even know what to ask for. They're just like, you guys do a lot of things. Can you just do something to try to help this? Stick uh, something in something and put something somewhere. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I think there's a lot of ingenuity. Uh, I, I, I think, uh, that's, uh, what has kept, uh, IR, uh, as a very progressive field. I always, uh, you know, I say that we are, pro- we are the most technologically advanced field, uh, in medicine. And, uh, and I think you have to enjoy, uh, coming up with, you know, uh, uh solutions, uh, new solutions to, uh, old problems. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, and then I think also uh, you know seeing patients. I think not having the um, there's a different mindset between a diagnostic radiologist and an interventional radiologist. Mm. Um, I, I think you have to really more ha- have a surgical mindset um, than uh, you know than uh, more of a diagnostic radiology mindset. Yeah, for the. Um, for the students listening, we, we've been talking about IR and, and all of these procedures and, and things, but we haven't really talked about the types of pathologies, the types of issues that you are treating. What what are patients coming to you for? What are physicians referring to IR for? So we, we have two kinds of, you know, uh, 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 procedures uh, that you could sort of group things uh, under. And uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, I think our, our practice is, is very robust in that uh, there are a lot of uh, inpatient procedures that we do, but I think most students may see on their rotations or they may call us about. And that's your vascular access, your uh, abscess drainage, your feeding tubes, nephrostomy tubes. Uh, and, you know, those are the things that help make a hospital run. You need someone to do those 
uh, uh, procedures. And we do them minimally invasively. The patients don't have to go to the operating room. Uh, um, GI bleeds, trauma, um, you know, uh, embolizations. Then there's the whole outpatient uh, world where I don't think most uh, uh, students, um, you know, really understand that we do. So, for example, one of the biggest things in uh, interventional radiology right now is oncology, uh, what we call interventional oncology. And that is treating liver tumors, uh, hepatocellular carcinoma, metastatic uh, uh, cancer to the liver, lung cancer. And we treat this with procedures uh, that are uh, known as ablation, uh, or where we take a needle and we burn the tumor, um, or embolization, chemoembolization, where we inject uh, chemotherapy or, um, or radiation beads um, uh, directly into tumors through the arteries. Um, so oncology is big. Um, uh, women's health, um, uterine fibroid embolization is uh, very popular. And it really helps uh, save a woman from having her uterus uh, uh, removed. Uh, and then peripheral vascular disease. You know, that is an area where you have, um, uh, you know, overlap with other specialties, such as vascular surgery and cardiology. Um, but um, what many students, you know, may not know is uh, the, the procedure of angioplasty, which everyone has heard of. Angioplasty was actually invented by interventional radiology. Mm. Uh, and so, um, peripheral vascular, uh, neuro IR stroke, uh, you know, uh, comes within our, uh, realm, uh, pulmonary embolism, thrombolysis. So there are a variety of, uh, procedures, uh, that we do. Uh, my, uh, area specifically is, uh, treating deep vein thrombosis, venous disease. Uh, and I actually have about a one year wait list of, of patients. Wow. Um, so, you know, so you know, so our, my practice is extremely, uh, you know, robust. Yeah. So, so basically it sounds like if you can get to it through an artery somewhere or maybe a vein, uh, then, then yep. IR could potentially treat it. <laughs> you, you, you've got it. You know, the, the patients, you know, when I see them in the office, I see about 25 patients a week, uh, in the office. Mm. And, um, you know, they will ask how the procedure is done. And I tell them, you know, I'm going to put a catheter at your ankle and I'm going to take that catheter all the way through your veins, through the blockages, up to the right atrium of your heart. And they just, you know, uh, like, you know, oh my goodness, like, how do you get, you know, from there? You know, it's all just the like getting here. on the highway. You take this turn, you take that turn, yeah, you end up where you want exactly. to go. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, and you're and you're not cutting me. Like, there's no, no, there's no incisions. Yeah. Like, just two or three little IV punctures, and that's it. Yeah, that's awesome. What is what does a day in the life look like for you? Is is it pretty typical with clinic days and surgery days or procedure days? What does that look like? So, um, you know, uh, I think you know days in uh, in the academic center are very different from days in uh, private practice. So I can you know really just comment in the academic center. So um, I practice one hundred percent IR, which means I do not do any diagnostic uh, radiology other than uh, reading some vascular. Uh, studies. So I am doing uh, cases all day. Um, my day, uh, I'm generally at the hospital between 6 and 6.30. And our day starts at uh, 7 a.m. And we'll generally have a, a conference of some kind. And then cases start at 8. Uh, and uh, we go from 8 to about 6, uh, you know, doing cases. 
And that will be a mixture of inpatient cases as well as our private patients, those that we see you know, in the office um, and, and follow up. Uh, I do cases uh, four days a week. Uh, and Thursdays are my clinic days where I will see you know, you know, somewhere around 25 patients uh, in the office. These are new patients as well as patients that have done procedures on and they're coming in for uh, follow-up. And these are patients that also uh, uh, we follow uh, just about lifelong. And that's you know something else that uh, people may not know that um, uh, uh, that we do in IR, that depending on the disease that you're treating, and since I treat vascular disease, once they become your patient, they're you know they're mine uh, for a very long time. Yeah. So you have to like that long-term care of patients. That's interesting. Yes. So you mentioned the training path a little bit already through the accelerated program, the two 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 kind of program, uh, and, and then it sounded like the normal training pathway is do your diagnostic radiology residency and then a, a one year fellowship. Is that the typical pathway? Uh, you know, that was a typical pathway. And now things have changed as of about maybe three years ago now. Um, even the, the direct pathway uh, that I did uh, or was planning on doing uh, has gone by the wayside. Mm. Uh, now, uh, IR has become its own uh, specialty. And what I mean by that is uh, you have to match from medical school. Wow. So, um, and it's called a, a DR, IR, Diagnostic Radiology, IR, uh, Interventional Radiology Pathway. And uh, you match into that from medical school. And during your diagnostic radiology years, you will do several months of interventional radiology, as well as um, things such as uh, critical care, um, you know, uh, perhaps uh, oncology, uh, transplant, uh, other things that a, the typical diagnostic radiology resident would not do where all, you know, um, uh, four years of their radiology training, they're doing purely diagnostic radiology. The IR residency person is doing more clinical mm. um, uh, rotations in addition to their diagnostic radiology uh, rotations. Okay. So that's interesting. So it's, it's, its, own, it's its own beast now, which uh, kind of shows how important it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, three years ago, it's either two or three years ago, um, this uh, 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 residency, uh, DRIR, uh, was the most competitive uh, specialty to get in, in all of medicine. Um, and just going to show how popular uh, IR has become. Yeah. What's your take on how a student can be competitive for one of those spots? So, uh, what I think is knowing uh, uh, very early on. And so how do you do that? And this is where I think the counseling uh, comes in for, for medical students. Um, you know, any, the, the, the two big things in medicine are, do you want to do procedures or do you not want to do procedures? So you sort of have to figure that out, you know, first. Yep. Uh, but once someone decides that they want to do uh, a procedural field, whether it's a surgical field or, you know, IR, um, then I think that uh, they owe it to themselves to really come and uh, check us out, not only us, but uh, check out all the different procedural uh, fields to see what's involved. Because we all make assumptions of, oh, this is what I think urology is like, or, you know, um, uh, GI or, you know, or what have you, but you really don't know 
until you've done a rotation. Now, you can't do a rotation in every single field of medicine. I, I wish we could. Um, but you can, um, you know, uh, just shadow, you know, even if you just spend one or two days, um, you know, with uh, someone in IR, it can give you a flavor to say, hey, you know what, this is a little different than I thought. Maybe I should actually do a, you know, an elective, you know, in this. Yeah. Interesting. So as you have gone through this process, what sort of things should an osteopathic medical student do to overcome any sort of negative bias out there? You know, I think that's really going more and more by the, you know, by the wayside. Um, I've worked with some uh, wonderful uh, osteopathic uh, physicians. Uh, we have uh, osteopathic uh, fellows uh, in our program. Um, uh, and uh, I think the main thing is, you know, if you are aggressive, you're intelligent, and you are hardworking, resourceful, that's what we want to see whether you have an md or a do um after your name um you know really doesn't uh really doesn't matter in in our program they'll still have the you know an equal chance i understand there are certain parts of the country where you know it, it may be different but yeah. um that's generally hasn't been a problem yeah that's awesome for the future primary care doc out there what do they need to know about ir to help their patients help you in the future so, um, I, you know, I wish, uh, you know, with, you know, primary care has also changed where, you know, primary care physicians used to round in the hospital yeah. and it, it was an opportunity for not only primary care specialties, but the, the specialists for everyone to, to co-mingle and interact whether it was in the cafeteria, the, the lounge, whatever. Yeah. And now you don't see that anymore. And so everyone's, you know, in their silos. And so the primary care specialists, they don't know how much IR has uh, evolved over the past 20 mm. years and what we are capable of doing. And at the same time, it is not conceivable for us to go and talk to go to their office and talk to every single, you know, uh, uh, PCP uh, in the community. So uh, I think one thing is, uh, uh, you know, reaching out to to interventional uh, radiologists and you know if they have patients where they're not sh uh, sure um, uh, of what can be done sometimes even just calling the local hospital uh, and reaching out to the interventional radiologist to ask them um, because we interact also with every field of medicine in the hospital so even if we can't help we most of the time will know who can help you yeah you know, so so I think that's uh, I think that's one thing. Um, the other is, um, which I think is more on our part, is as a society, I think IR needs to do a better job of trying to educate physicians in other disciplines as to as to what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm the director of the medical student elective um, uh, here at the University of Pennsylvania, and one of the things uh, that I tell students, we have a lot of students who are not interested in IR who do our elective and um, they are going into internal medicine. And, um, and I tell them that, you know, your goal over the time that you are with us is not to learn the technical aspect, but learn what it is that we do. What are the indications? What is the scope of practice? Because, you can only 
treat what your mind knows. Yep. And you can only refer to a specialist if your mind has that knowledge. Yep. So if you are seeing a patient, you're an internist and you are seeing a patient with severe uh, post-phlebitic or what we call post-thrombotic syndrome after extensive DVT and they are debilitated, they can barely walk. And you have now scrubbed with me as a medical student and you've seen what things that I can do to fix that. You'll say, oh, you know what? I know that IR may be able to treat someone with chronic DBT, and I'm going to refer my my patient to them. Yeah. So you're providing better care for your patient. Yeah, definitely, it's important. What do you like the most about being an interventional radiologist? I, you know, I have been practicing now since 2011, and not a day goes by that I'm still amazed at what we can do without incisions. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, when I was doing surgery, I was doing a lot of laparoscopic surgery and I would be amazed at, look at what we did. We did a, a laparoscopic gallbladder or, a, or a, a laparoscopic colon resection. And, you know, we have these, you know, um, anywhere between three to five, uh, you know, laparoscopic ports where we put our trocars in and, we did this uh, surgery and now I'm just, you know, suturing those up now. Um, you know, I'm like, you know, and, and that was amazing to me. And now, um, I can completely build someone's inferior vena cava and iliac veins. And all they have is a couple, uh, punctures yeah. and, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God, look what we did inside this patient's body. Um, you know, uh, without an incision. And to me, that is uh, not only amazing, but it just shows how much medicine is advancing and continuing to advance. What do you like the least? A um, couple things. I, you know, it does get tiring wearing lead. You know, you're yeah. wearing 20 pounds of lead constantly. <laughs> uh, there's radiation exposure, although I'm, I'm very good with uh, all the shielding and everything. But um, I, the one thing that really does bother me is what we've already sort of discussed is there are so many patients that I feel that we can play a role in helping, but the medical community doesn't even know what we do. Yeah. And because they don't know that they won't refer the patient and will, you know, may tell them, look, nothing, uh, you know, can be done for you. Yeah. And, and that's not true. Um, you know, many times we can help and, um, I think uh, collectively, again, as a society, we need to do a much better job of, of reaching out uh, to the medical community. And, you know, if you want to say bragging, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe it is bragging, but it, it's also educating so we can better yeah. serve uh, the patients. Some patients we can help and some we won't be able to help. You just got to spend the big bucks like the pharma industry. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly and then the patients will be begging be like hey doc I, I i watched a commercial that talked about ir as the potential cure for my whatever <laughs> my claudication yeah. can you help me here <laughs> yeah oh uh, just just picture ir commercials like like pharma commercials yeah. that'd be awesome see the other thing that's really great is the collaboration mm -hmm. we interact so well with a lot of specialties and um and at penn we have a very good um, working relationship with our uh, surgeons, you know, it, it's not uh, where the surgeons come in and say, you do this because I told you to, because I'm the surgeon. It doesn't work like that. Um, you know, uh, uh, 
at our uh, institution. It's very collaborative. And sometimes we could say, you know what, um, we will offer, look, this is how we can help your surgical patient or no, this is not a good idea to, uh, you know, uh, to do this. And uh, we have many minds, you know, uh, coming together. And that collaboration is, is really nice because you learn a lot from um, the other specialists as well. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this now who you, you've piqued their interest into IR? Well, I, I think, you know, again, for anyone considering a field in surgery or any procedural uh, field, I really uh, advise them to come uh, check out interventional radiology in their institution. If their institution um, doesn't have a robust radiology uh, program uh, where we're uh, seeing patients and having an outpatient, you know, uh, office practice, um, they should, you know, really consider maybe, you know, going elsewhere, uh, you know, for uh, audition elective uh, to learn more about it because that's really the future of um, IR. And, and even in our own institution, other specialists, you know, when they see that we are seeing 20, 25 patients in our clinic, they're, you know, they're like, what do you mean you guys have clinic? Like, who in the world are you following up? You're following up on the abscess <laughs> strain? And it's like, no, these are our private patients, cancer patients, peripheral vascular patients. Yeah. So um, I, I think that is uh, something students should consider. And the other thing is just picking a specialty in general. Um, what I tell our students at Penn is um, th- there is no other profession where you're you know, investing almost a quarter of a million dollars, you know, in, you know, into an education and you owe it to yourself to, uh, to really investigate as many fields of medicine as you can before you graduate, even if it's just for one day, because you want to be able to walk out of uh, med school graduation saying, you know what, I am confident, um, uh, in the field that I have chosen and, not constantly wondering, you know, uh, what if, Yeah. you know, what if I'd chosen this? What if I'd you know, chosen that? All right. There you have it again, Dr. Deepak Surendra. If you are interested in vascular and interventional radiology, I want you to check out the Society of Interventional Radiology at sirweb.org, sirweb.org to learn more about interventional radiology and everything that is available there. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week on Specialty Stories where we have a cardiac surgeon. So the specialty potentially that Dr. Sudendra was going into, we have Dr. Brian Lima, a cardiac surgeon, talking about his specialty and why he went into it. (laughs) 